This is Leaving Laodicea, the online podcast of Steve McCraney. I'm glad you're here. Stay tuned, because we've got some exciting things in store for you. Hang tight. You can't handle the truth. For you've suffered a loss, you've asked yourself some of the hardest questions. Why? Why did this person have to die? Or if they did die, why did they have to die in this way? God, why wasn't this relationship restored? Lord, why wasn't this person healed? Why didn't I get the job? Lord, I cried out to you in my financial need, and I was hanging by a thread, and it seemed like that you were so far from me. And if you go on the Internet and you'll Google why God doesn't answer prayers, from the Billy Graham Association to John MacArthur to all these other people who preach sermons on them, you will find the major reason is you. They basically say it's us, that there's some failure on our part. If you want God to answer your prayers, you pray more, you read the Bible more, you spend time with Him more, you do more godly deeds, you walk away from sin, and don't get me wrong, there's an element of truth in that. There is. But it's almost like the reason why God doesn't answer prayers, at least in our Western church, is because I'm not performing enough as a Christian. Because I'm not on the treadmill fast enough. Because I'm not doing more, or saying more, or trying more, or working more. And so it's all me. Yeah, I know I've shared this with you many, many times over the last 20 years. But I go to the hospital with this older pastor. And there's a, a grandmother who's on her deathbed. And the parents of the, uh, the grandmother are very upset. So they called the pastor, the hired holy man, to come in and pray for her. And so we came in and we prayed. And the person that I was... There with, um, soon as we, uh, soon as I was kind of deferring to him, uh, as soon as he finished praying, he grabbed the hands of the, of the grieving, uh, and anxious parents and said, I just know God's gonna heal your grandmother. And we walked outside and I said, really? How do you know that? Did, and I wasn't exactly this pointed. You know, I had, I had more grace back then, or more tact. I said, how do you know that? Did God give you a special revelation? I mean, do you know the mind of God? Do you know that it's his will to raise the No, but I wanted to comfort the family because that's what they needed to hear. Okay, so what happens when she dies? Who gets the blame then? You have said that you know that it's God's will for this woman to be raised up and not die, and if by some chance that's not God's will and she actually dies, whose fault is it? Is it God's fault? Oh, no. Is it your fault? Well, no. Then it's their fault. Then somehow it's, it's their responsibility. You didn't love enough. Your faith didn't measure up. God only heals if you get an 85. You're an 83. Sorry, she dies. I mean, it's... And we preach that, and it's... it's it's so damaging out there because all of a sudden prayer becomes like a microwave oven. I pray for two minutes and I expect to have a full meal. And it's not like that at all. There's, there's many purposes to prayer. But what we do, and this is why we're going to move a little deeper into the scripture. What we do in America is we use what's called cliff note Christianity. Do you all know what cliff notes are? I don't know if they even have them today. When I was in school, there were these little bitty booklets that you would buy which would summarize something that none of us wanted to read. I have to give a report on war and peace. So instead, I'll buy the 40-page cliff note and try to just squeeze by. It takes the major points and just condenses it almost in a kind of bullet point form. And we do exactly that when it comes to Jesus' words on prayer. We just throw these things out like they're incantations, like they're like they're mantras that somehow we just hold on to part of the verse and never look at the rest of us. Here's one. It's really simple. 
Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. So therefore, and he goes on and says, everyone who asks will be given. So therefore, this is what we're talking about. It's prayer. All I have to do is ask and seek and find. And whatever I'm asking for and seeking for and looking for is going to be open for me because that's all I have to do. Here's the worst one. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. First of all, the context of this verse has nothing to do with prayer. It has to do with a sinning believer. And all of a sudden, the sinning believer is, you, know, you meet him personally and you, you rebuke him and then you take three of your, or four of your friends and you bring it up to the entire church. It's a, it's a judicial statement that when two of you agree regarding what to do with a sinning believer, I agree with what you're doing. But we kind of, uh, we kind of say that this is a prayer. I just have to get somebody to agree with me. Now, Christians don't agree about much, but do you think that we could agree that world peace and the end of all wars would be a good thing? So let's do that. Let's get two or more to gather together. Matter of fact, let's get all 60 of us together, and we all agree, is world peace going to come and the end of all wars going to happen? No, because God has already told us that in the end there'll be trials and tribulations and wars and rumors of wars and there'll be chaos. And God's already told us how the end is going to be. So you and I can pray until the cows come in that God will go ahead and end all wars. But his word and his truth and his promises and his prophecies have already told us that's not going to happen. So us agreeing for world peace and the end of all wars, which sounds good for us, is really praying contrary to the revealed will of God. And this one, and whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. So it's just a matter of believing. If I believe hard enough, I don't know how you believe hard enough. It's mine. So does that mean that if you believe hard enough, that God will actually give you something that's harmful to you? That's not of your best interest, like Moses? I mean, think of Moses' relationship with the Lord. I mean, he, he was the only one that was allowed to go up on Mount Sinai. I mean, God, God wrote the tablets with his fingers and brought them down, and Moses got mad and broke them. So he walked back up, and God says, I ain't writing them this time, you write them this time. And, you know, and all that kind of, Moses went into the tent of meeting and met with God and came out and had to put a, a, a shawl over his face because the residual glory of God was shining. None of us. None of us have probably had that kind of intimacy with the Lord, the burning bush encounter. And yet Moses asked God a prayer. Lord, show me your glory. Well, if I do, Moses, you'll die. Because my word has already said that nobody sees my face and lives. That's the truth. And you're asking to do something that if I granted it to you, although it seems so good, show me your glory, a man of flesh and blood and the resplendent glory of the Lord. Show me your glory. God says, no, I, I will hide you in the cleft of a rock and I'll let you see my receding glory, my backside, but to see my face, no man sees my face and lives. So even... You know, whatever things we ask in prayer and believing, it's not a mantra or an incantation, which is witchcraft, for us to just tack the name of Jesus on the end of a selfish prayer and think we're binding God's hand. Or the biggest heresy that goes along in Christianity today is the fact that somehow we bind God's with our words. Like I, I say something and God's going, oh, he said the word. Now I have to do it. And like God's a genie in the bottle. Where does that come from? It comes from a fallen view of the sovereignty of God and who he is. Now the problem comes to prayer. We're commanded to pray. We're told that the Lord already knows our needs before we ask them, but nevertheless, he still wants us to ask him. We're told that he's sovereign, and yet he still wants us to pray. And, and so we, 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 ha we have these questions. Have you ever had a prayer not answered by God? Either he was silent, or his answer was no. And, and we're kind of devastated. I mean, last night, I, um, 
Um, last night, uh, I couldn't sleep, and I got up, and I spent about a couple hours with the Lord. And before I preached this to you, I had to kind of clear my heart of something that I was holding against him. It was a disappointment in my life. It was, um, it was uh, I just saw it differently than he saw it. And although I knew in my head, God is sovereign and God is what, not my will, but your will. Lord, nevertheless, I still had some resentment. And so I just confessed it to him. And like, by the way, it's okay to tell God how you really feel because he already knows. What do you think? He's going to go, I had no idea you felt that way. I'm hurt. I mean, he already knows. And I confessed it to him and, and he reminded me of an agreement we had in the beginning that I had kind of veered from, you're right, you're right, you're right. He's always right. Have you ever known that? <laughs> Arguing with God, you're, gotcha. There's this, uh, there's this little YouTube video out about this little Hispanic kid arguing with his mom, about five years old. Linda, 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 just listen to me, listen to me, you need to listen to me. And the mother says, no, you need to listen to me. No, Linda, you're not listening to me. And I'm thinking... The kid's going to be a monster in two years. You know, it's, it's terrible. And sometimes we're like that with God. You know, God, God, God's trying to tell us, no, 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 you need to listen to me. Listen to me. You're not listening to me, God. <laughs> and so I had to, I had to, I had to ask the Lord to forgive me for the disappointment I had in Him for Him not working things out the way I wanted them to. I had to step off the throne, my little bitty throne, and realize that he is sovereign and he is God. And, and what I did was for his glory anyway, and so I should be satisfied with whatever he does. True? I mean, we all struggle with this. Why doesn't God answer my prayers? Or why didn't God pray? Or why didn't God do what I prayed he would do? I, we prayed last week, according to what Tom Wynn asked us to, that... Um, the genie would be ushered into the presence of the Lord, which she was last night, but we prayed for it last Sunday. Do you remember? And God said, no, I'm going to give her five more days of stuff that I, I have a hard time understanding. Why would you do that? I, I don't, I, like Tom says, I don't see any purpose in this. I don't either. I don't either, but why didn't God do what I prayed for? And, and, and Lord, if you don't answer my prayers, is, do you not love me? Because if you did love me, you would have not let happen what happened. You did not let my child die. You did not let the, my spouse leave me. You did not let my kids turn out the way they did. You would have not. I mean, I begged you, God. I begged you as my loving father to take care of your child. Yet I don't feel like you did. So I don't feel like you love me. You ever been there? Where was God during my time of deepest needs? Sometimes I pray and it feels like my prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. Are they really? Does God really hear my prayers? I prayed to God for, and you fill in your own life. I prayed to God for this not to happen or that not to happen or for this to happen or God to, to move mightily here or whatever he did, and it didn't happen. Why? What, what's the deal here? What's the problem? Is the problem with me? Am I not doing enough? Do I need to do more to somehow earn his, his love and his adoration like a rat on a treadmill? Do I just work myself to the bone so that when God finally does answer my prayer, then I can say, well, he did it because of my effort rather than because of his grace? I mean, is the problem with me, or God forbid, is the problem with him? Does he show favorites? Does he show partiality? I mean, his word clearly says he doesn't. And these hardest questions are never more prominent in our life than when it comes to prayer. Here's a couple of things we're going to look at today. We're going to, we're going to answer this all-important question, what is prayer? What are we to expect when we pray? What does the scripture say is going to happen when we pray? And what are we not to expect when we pray? This is where the problem comes, because we put expectations on God and prayer that may or may not be biblically justified. What is the true purpose of prayer? Is it just to get my stuff? 
Is it just for God to take care of me? Are most of my prayers one-sided? God, I love you. Let me see. Uh, hallowed be thy name. God, you're gracious in your, your kingdom come. Oh, God, you're sovereign. Your will be done. Oh, give us this day. Oh, now, I'm in, now it's the important part of prayer. Now I want to go ahead and tell you all that I want. I need this, 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 and this. Please take care of this, 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 and this. Thank you very much. It's been a great day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. I mean, is that the purpose of prayer, to get stuff from God? What is what we pray for? I mean, the words that come out of our lips, what does that say about our own understanding of God? And how do we deal with unanswered prayers? And why is this even important? One of the reasons I'll go ahead and answer this last question first is because the reason why it's important is because the greatest strength we have, the most powerful tool we have, is prayer. And if you collected a hundred pastors. And it's not just in our generation. I was reading a book by Oswald Chambers, and he was talking about what prompted this, this book. And, and a lot of his books were basically his sermons and notes from conferences that he did. And this was in some pastor's conference in South Africa in uh, 1912. And in 1912, they were having this pastor's conference, and they gathered all these pastors together, and they asked them in this big room, they asked them, how many people here pray a half hour a day pastors now in 1912? Not just the carnal church today, but in 1912. So about half a dozen hands went up. How many people pray, I'm sorry, that was an hour a day. How many people pray, just hundreds of people in this room, half hour a day, a few more. How many people pray 10 minutes a day? Most of the hands, five minutes a day, a few more. And one pastor came up to him afterwards and said, you know, I wasn't really sure if I should have raised my hand at all because I'm not sure I even pray five minutes a day. Because I'm too busy studying the Bible and I'm too busy doing ministry. And, and prayer, once we get a handle on that, prayer is one of the most important things we can do because we're actually communicating. God actually gives us the privilege of having fellowship with him to go boldly before his throne of grace. It's more important than preaching. It's more important than Bible study. It's really more important than, than ministry because we're empowered by who he is. But if we don't think prayer matters or we don't know how to handle his unanswered prayers or his no's, then we have a tendency of trying to do things ourselves and not pray at all. What is prayer? I turn to Wayne Gruden, Systematic Theology, Smart guy, and here's what he said. You ready? Prayer is talking to God. Thank you. Thank you. I could have done that myself. Prayer is talking to God. Well, that's pretty much what it is. But in talking to God, there's other elements that we don't think about. Prayer is also allowing God to talk back to us. That's the amazing part of prayer. It's not just us laying our petitions before his, his throne. It's hearing him speak to us. If uh, we talked about this with the Wednesday night guys, but if I were to ask you the mountaintop experiences you've had in your spiritual life, every one of them would be tied to God speaking to you in some way. Oh, God spoke to me. I just know he spoke to me. I mean, it was, it was amazing. It was, it was incredible. It was, it was powerful. When you pray, does that happen? Does God speak back to you? Do you give him time to speak back to you? Or, or do you pretty much like an email? Hey, thanks, boom, and it's gone. Or do you wait and ruminate and, and just bask in his presence? And if, if, if God does speak back to you in your prayer life, what is that like? How long has it been? And how does our Father speak to you? Every one of us in here, he speaks to us differently. But how, how is that done? When I, when I ask people, hey, when is the last time God spoke to you? I'm always encouraged in the fact that most people can pick a time when God did speak to them. The discouraging part, it was either months or years ago. It's never like, well, he spoke to me this morning. Or he's speaking to me right now. Or he spoke to me yesterday or, or something of that nature. It's, it's almost like, yes, there are these mountaintop experiences where God has spoken to me, usually in some momentous time in my life, because I was more open to him speaking to me rather than just resting in him and hearing his voice every single day. So what do we expect when we pray? Now, this is where it gets a little graduate level. And this is where I want you to, to truly try to get your head around the verses we're going to look at. Some of them are very familiar. You need to understand who God is. Truly, 
who God is. Because once you have a proper perspective of God, then we very well can understand where we fit into the scheme of things. My favorite verse, a question is being asked. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? I don't see their God. They claim to have a God. So show me their God. We have Asherah over here. We have Baal over here. Where is their God? Answer. Our God is in heaven, or literally in the Hebrew, in his heavens. And not only that, he is sovereign. He does whatever he pleases. This is my life verse. I want you to think about what that means. Our God is in his heavens, and you will not change his will. Our God is in his heavens, and he's not up there going, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to, what do you think, Jesus, I should do? I don't know, let's call the angels in here. Here are the archangels. What do you think we're supposed to do? I don't know, ask Steve. All right, Steve, what do you think I'm supposed to do? And I tell God what I think he ought to do. Oughts to do. I think, I tell, that's what I actually say, what you ought to do, you know? You know I tell God what he's supposed to do. It doesn't work that way. I'm a slave, I'm a doulos, I'm dust and ashes, I'm, I'm a created being. And God is sovereign. Sovereign. Doesn't get any bigger than him. Psalm 135, verse 6. For I know that the Lord is great, and our Lord is above all gods. To what extent? Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Well, we're in heaven? Yes, but also in earth and in the seas and in the deep places. There's nothing outside of God's sovereignty. He does whatever he wants to do. Doesn't ask me for my advice. Doesn't ask me for my input because I am fallen and fallible at best. <clears throat> my wisdom is nothing compared to his. Wherever the... Whatever the Lord pleases or desires, he does. Everywhere, in heaven, in earth, in the sea, and in the deep places. Isaiah 49. Remember the former things of old. Why? For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. How is that How's that true? How are you different than everybody else? How are you different than me? How is your knowledge and your foresight and your sovereignty different than mine? Well, simple. Declaring the end from the beginning and the ancient times things that are not yet done. God says, my counsel and my advice and my purpose shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. I'm going to do whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do. I am God, and you are not. Steve, do you understand that? I'm trying. I'm trying, but over and over again, I, I don't like what you do. I think you ought to do things like I want you to do. You ever been there? Daniel. This is, this is Nebuchadnezzar talking. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, his kingdom is from generation to generation. All inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And that's you, Steve. Compared to God, you are nothing. As a matter of fact, Steve, the only good thing in you is what my son placed there by his atoning sacrifice and his blood and by virtue of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. God does according to his will. Where? In the, in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, Really, God? What have you done? Or what have you haven't done? I have a bone to pick with you because in my heart I felt you should have done this. After all, I prayed. I had three or four of my friends pray. I believed. And yet you did something different. Isaiah. And this has been me sometimes in my life. Even last night. Woe to him who strives with his maker. God, isn't that crazy? Let the potsherd, or basically the earthen vessel, clay, strive with the potsherds on earth. Let us strive with each other, but not with God. Shall the clay said to him who formed it, what are you making? That's not, it's not an inquisitive, oh, what are you making? It's what are you making? 
I don't like what you're making. I want to be different than how you created me. Or shall the handiwork say he has no hands? He didn't create me properly. Woe to him who says of his father, what are you begetting? Or to the woman, what have you brought forth? Paul uses the same words here, the same verses, when he's talking about God's sovereignty in in Romans chapter 9 where God is up in heavens and God hardens who he wants to harden and he, he shows mercy on who he wants to show mercy and he uses Pharaoh as, as an example. And if God hardened Pharaoh's heart, then why do you blame Pharaoh for the things he did? And that's the question being asked here. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? If God hardened Pharaoh, then why does he blame Pharaoh for doing the things that Pharaoh did? Because who can resist his will? And here's how God answers that question to you and I. But indeed, oh Steve, who are you to reply to God? Who are you to even ask those questions? Who are you to impugn his character by assuming he's done something contrary to his will? Will the thing formed said to who formed it? Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have the power? And this is not Dudamas. This is not explosive ability creating power. This is authority power. Does he not have authority over the clay created beings like you and I from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Yes, Lord, you do. Then you need to understand, Steve, the church needs to understand that God is sovereign. He's even sovereign over our prayer life. Sovereign completely. I find this... Fascinating in the book of Job. Job 41 talks about one of the two creatures God points out to stick in the face of Job in his book. One is Leviathan and one is Behemoth. In your modern translations, Leviathan is called a crocodile. Ha, ha, ha. And Behemoth is called a hippopotamus. If you really look at it, Leviathan is a fire-breathing dragon. You mean all those myths of you know, St. Arthur or something, fighting the fire. You mean those, those are based in reality? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Job talks about that. And if you will look at Behemoth, it talks about him having a tail like a cedar, like a brontosaurus. His power's in his loins. I mean, it's a dinosaur. I mean, not a hippopotamus. You see an hippopotamus tail? A little wimpy thing? It's not that way at all. We're talking about Leviathan. And what happened is Job is saying, God, you're not fair. God, this isn't right. God, you should have done something different. God, I'm questioning your sovereignty. And instead of, instead of God pointing out his celestial things to Job and saying, can you throw the heavens and the, the earth and, and the sky like I did, which he does, he points out something Job's familiar with, Leviathan. And he points about how incredible he is and how powerful he is. Can you do this to him? Can you do this to him? Can you assume this about him? And I am much bigger than Leviathan. Look what he says here. Can you draw Leviathan out with a hook? Or snare his tongue with a line which you lower like catching a fish? No. Can you put a reed through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many supplications to you? Will he speak softly to you? Will he make a covenant with you? No, he'll eat you alive. Will you take him as a servant forever like a pet in your home? Will you play with him as with a bird? Will you leash him for your maidens? That's ridiculous to think you're going to do that to Leviathan. Will your companions make a banquet of him? Not for him, but of him. Will they apportion him among the merchants? Will they skin him and turn him into hats and and purses and shoes? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hand on him. Remember the battle. Never do it again because you'll pull back a stub. Indeed, any hope of overcoming him is false. Shall... One not be overwhelmed at the sight of him? No no one is so fierce that he would dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand against me? If I've created Leviathan, who are you to say those things about me? Continuing, who has preceded me that I should pay him? Everything under heaven is mine. I will not conceal his limbs, his mighty powers, or his graceful portions. Who can remove Leviathan's outer coat? Who can approach him with a double bridle, like a horse? Who can open the doors of his face with his terrible teeth all around? No one. 
His rows of scale are his prize, shut up tightly as with a seal like armor. So one is so near the other that no air can come between them. They are joined to one another. They stick together and cannot be parted. Fire-breathing dragon. His sneezes flashes forth light, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning lights. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke goes out of his nostrils as from a boiling pot and burning ashes. His breath kindles coals, and a flame goes out of his mouth. Strength dwells in his neck and sorrow dances before him. The folds of his flesh are joined together. They are firm on him and cannot be moved. His heart is as hard as stone, even as hard as the lower millstone. When he raises himself up, like you've seen pictures of these fiery dragons that do that, the mighty are afraid because of his crashings. They are beside themselves. Though the spear reaches him, it cannot avail. Nor does spear or the sword, nor does spear dart or javelin. He regards iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. Slingshots become like stubble to him. Darts are regarded as straw. He laughs at the threat of javelins. He, his undersides are like sharp pot, pot serves. He, sp- he spreads pointed marks in the mire. He makes the deep in the deep of the water because of his fire-breathing dragon boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. He leaves a shining wake behind him. One would think that the deep had white hair. On earth there is nothing like him which is made without fear. He beholds every high thing. He is king over all the children of pride. And if I have created him, how dare you disrespect me? God says. So then Job answered the Lord and says, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. I know that you're sovereign God. You've shown me in the example of Leviathan. You ask, who is this who hides counsel with knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, God, I will question you, and you shall answer me, Job. I have heard you by the hearing of the ear, Job says, but now my eyes see you. Therefore I abhor myself, my pride and my arrogance, my lack of understanding of your sovereignty, and I repent in dust and ashes. We have to understand with prayer who God is that we're praying to and who we are that are making these requests to God Almighty who sits on his throne. When we pray, there's a few things that we should not expect to happen. One is to get whatever we want when we want it. I mean, if we even did that to one of our kids, they'd be spoiled brats, would they not? We don't do that. We give our kids what we want them to have, what we think they should have, what is beneficial to them. When we pray to God, especially in our culture today, just add two people pray together or, or just believe or, or whatever. Or, you know, God's just up there in heaven with a whole bunch of goodie bags. He just wants to bless you with them. And that's not what the Christian life is all about. Christ didn't die to make your life on earth better. This is not your best life now. Jeannie Wynn is experiencing her best life now. When we pray, we shouldn't expect God to always see things like we see them. It doesn't happen that way. We are carnal. We have, we have hidden motivations. We have stuff that happens in the past that clouds our vision today. We have knee-jerk reactions. We have issues that we're still dealing with. God doesn't always see things the way we see them. God's will is not going to align with our will. That's not his job. His job is not to answer my prayer. His job is to get my prayer to align with his will. We're not to think when we pray that God thinks and acts like we think and act. I would hate to have a God like me. You know, wouldn't you? My wife would be the first one to say yes. No, God is higher than we are. He's more important than we are. If we say, and I've done this to God before, if I were God, I would have done it this way. What, do you think God's going to go, aw? You know, okay, you're right. Your vision of me is 
is more truthful than my vision of me. Excuse me, Steve, I'm sorry for disappointing you. Really? We should not think that God is going to tell us what he's going to do next or what's going to happen. That'll probably never happen. Never. Understand that. God, what are you going to do? Usually he doesn't tell us. That's where faith comes in. Oswald Chambers. My utmost for his highest. I, this is in January. I don't remember what day it is. And it has been, every time I read this, and I go back to it all the time, every time I read this, this is like, this is like prayer and faith just summed up in just a couple sentences. And here's what he says. Steve, have you been asking God what he's going to do? He will never tell you. God does not tell you what he is going to do. Then what does he do? He reveals to you who he is. And that's enough. Because from that point on, it becomes a matter of faith. If God told me everything he was going to do, hey, what's going to happen tomorrow? Oh, here it is, Steve. I'll send you a bullet point email at 8.15. This will happen and this will happen. Where's, where's faith in that? There's no faith in that. I'm just, I've, I've got it all laid out in front of me. I know exactly what's going to happen. But faith comes by just knowing who God is. The big pictures and the big promises. I, he is good. He is only, he is only promised to do good for me. All, uh, that he said, he said that, that, um, that I can take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. He said that, Romans 8, 28, that all things, all good things happen to those people who, who love God and are called according to his purpose. So if I understand the big promises, I don't have to, I don't have to know the minute details. That's his job. Kind of like your eight-year-old daughter coming up to you and saying, hey, well, are you going to be able to cook food today? I mean, I mean, it's going to be fine. I mean, do you have enough groceries? And she opens up the counter. Oh, there's only three cans of beans in here. I don't know if you've got enough. Do you need to go to Walmart? Wait, 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 wait. What are you doing? Well, I just want to make sure that you've got everything together. And I want to see exactly what you're going to cook. I want you to lay the menu out for me. I want you to show me in the cupboard that you've got enough. And I need a doctor's report from you that, uh, that says to you that says that you're healthy enough to fix this meal. I need to know exactly what's going to happen. Sweetheart, it's my job to cook you a meal. It's my job to take care of that. If you just trust me and know that I love you, I'll take care of all those details. You are moving way beyond your pay grade here. It's not your job to figure out how God's going to do things. It's our job to believe the big promises about him. And what are those? Listen very carefully. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing. Well, no, I am anxious. That's why I pray all the time. I'm worried. Oh, my gosh, what's going to happen here? What's going to happen to this? And oh, the government's doing this. And, and North Korea has exploded some hydrogen bomb. And, and you know, my job looks like it could, could be going under. And, and they're going to raise property taxes on my house. And I've got this knocking noise in my car. And what am I going to do? I'm anxious about everything. No, be anxious for nothing. Then what do I do rather than worry? But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving... I don't understand how that works. Am I thanking God after he meets my prayer? No, it doesn't say that. It's prayer and supplication and then thanking God. Well, what am I thanking him for? Oh, I get it. It's like a faith thing, like, like believe it and then you receive it. So I'm going to say, God, here's what I'm asking you for, and I'm going to thank you in advance that you're going to do this. Have you ever done that and been disappointed? Because you're not binding God's hand by thanking him for something he doesn't want to give you. The thanksgiving comes from the fact that he's sovereign. Yeah, God, thank you for letting me lay my prayers at your feet. Thank you for giving me bold access. Thank you for letting me share my burdens with you. Thank you for not letting me be anxious because the only person that can correct all these things is not me manipulating the circumstances you know, behind the curtain like the Wizard of Oz. It's God. And so I'm anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, I let my request, not my demands, my petitions or a thing asked for, be known to God. And what happens? This peace comes. And this peace doesn't come because you know God's going to answer the prayer the way you want it answered. Sometimes it does, but we don't know this at this particular point in time. But a peace comes from understanding his sovereign. I've done all I can do. I've taken it to my heavenly father and I've laid it at his feet. 
And I know he is good, and I know he is gracious, and I know he is loving, and he's forgiving. I know he is sovereign. I know that he says that no bad thing will come my way, and even if it does, he's doing it for my good. I know that whatever happens, I'm in the, I'm in the center of his will. I also know that no one can snatch me out of my, his hand, because as my hand is strong, says Jesus, and so is my father's hand, and no one can snatch them out of our hands. I know that. And once I understand that, then this peace comes. Ah, I'm his child. I'm loved by him. And it's a peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace far greater than having your prayer answered. And it will guard my heart and mind, my feelings and my thoughts about God, about his goodness, about me, about prayer through Christ Jesus. This is prayer. This is how we're supposed to pray. James 5, 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent, those are two English words that explain one Greek word. It means to be operative, to be at work, to put forth power. The effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Yes, but to who? We always interpret it as narcissistically. It avails much. In other words, I pray with power, so God gives me what I want. But it, does it necessarily mean that? Could it also mean it avails much to God, that we're praying and building a deeper relationship with Him? Or, or does it all have to do with putting the prayer in the microwave, pushing the button, and expecting the full meal? I mean, how does that work? How did that work for Paul and Silas in the middle of prison? with the skin peeled off their back, singing praise songs with this peace that passes all understanding to their Lord. Now here's the verse I wanted you to turn to, because this is the ones we're really going to look at. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him. The confidence here, the word confidence, doesn't mean assurance like we think of. It means freedom in speaking. I have a confidence in my relationship with you that I'm able to speak frankly. This is what I did last night with the Lord. I, I, I basically told him things he already knew. I confessed my feelings towards him, and, and he understood that. And like a loving father, wrapped me in his arms, and we moved on. And here's the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything, anything, oh, here's a little caveat, according to his will, that's the condition. The promise is that he hears us. Does God hear your prayers? Yes, says so. And we know that if he hears us, because now the second condition is based on the hearing, that if he hears us, whatever we ask, and here's like carte blanche to get crazy. We know that we have the petitions we ask of him. Wow, this is great. That if I pray according to his will, that he hears me. And if he hears me, that I know that he's going to give me what I ask of him. And he even says, whatever we ask, that's great. I want a new car. I want a new job. I want a, you know, I want nicer clothes. I want a better looking girlfriend or boyfriend. I want perfect teeth. I gimme, 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 gimme. Based on this verse. I want you to note that the key here is according to his will. You want your prayers answered? Here's how it's done. We have we have two promises here and an underlying condition that we have a tendency of forgetting. Here's the first promise. That if we pray according to his will, he hears us. The first promise is that God hears our prayers if we pray according to the will. Hallelujah. Thank you for that. The second promise is based on the word hearing, that if he hears us, he will grant our prayers whatever it is. And that's the part that we focus on all the time. And we fail to, hear, to understand the underlying condition, that he only hears us if we pray according to his will. There are Old Testament passages and New Testament passages that talk about the wicked can pray all day long and God doesn't hear their prayers. fact is that you know, if we don't forgive somebody else, that uh, you know, God's not even going to forgive us. There are conditions involved here. And the condition has to do with praying according to his will. If I pray according to his will, which is a lot more than tacking the little in Jesus' name on the end of a prayer. If I pray according to his will, of course he hears those prayers. 
And of course I know that he's going to grant those prayers because it's his will. It's exactly what he's going to do. And what we're still, we're told to pray in the name of Jesus. And we kind of throw that on there as like a, like a postscript where in the name of Jesus or in Jesus name that somehow God's bound by that. But when we're talking about praying in Jesus name, what it really means is to pray with the authority of Christ, pray with the position of Christ, to pray what Christ would pray. I think it was Chuck Swindoll many, many years ago when I first started preaching, talked about, and I had never gone through a, a, an estate. Uh, no one I knew had ever died at that point. And, and he talked about that, no, when you ask something in Jesus' name, what you're doing, it's kind of like, like probating an estate with the executor of the estate and the probate judge. And what happens is, as the executor of the state decides to, um, to pay some bills, has to go through the probate judge, that what happens is there's a check and there's two... There's two signatures that are there. One, of course, is my signature, and the other, of course, would be the executive of the state, and it goes to the probate judge, and if both of those signatures are on that, if they've been approved by both parties, then that check is cashed. That's exactly what it is in praying in Jesus' name. I make a prayer request from the Lord, will you cash this check for me? And then Jesus, if I'm praying in Jesus' name, according to his will and his authority, the same thing that he would pray, he signs that. And then the check goes up to God the Father, and he looks, and he sees Steve request, and he sees us prayed in the name of Jesus according to the will of God, because my son's name is on that, to absolutely cash that check. But sometimes, sometimes I know my prayer requests aren't exactly lining up with what I know Jesus would do, but I really want them anyway, so I just sign the check and try to just sneak it up under, like Radar O'Reilly used to try to get, you know... Colonel Potter, what is to sign the documents and mash? You're trying to sneak it up under that. And God picks it up and goes, oh, Steve, where's, uh, where's my son's signature? Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. Oh, I didn't get a chance to talk to him. It's fine. Just cash it anyway. No. My son would never ask for something like this. So even though you're praying in the name of Jesus, it has to be according to the will of God. That's what that means. Which brings us to the last point. If all this is true, how do we know what the will of God is? I mean, how do I know? And how can I learn to pray according to his will? And this is where it gets tough. And this verse pretty much sums it up. It says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? No one. No one. It's a quote from Isaiah. But then Paul says, But we have the mind of Christ. We think like Christ. We emulate Christ. We want to do the things that Christ wants to do. We see things through his eyes. We speak his words. That's how you know what the will of God is, is when you're so in tune to Christ, so in tune to the Holy Spirit who lives in you, that you know that your prayers are exactly what God would be praying. James says this, Where do wars and fights come among you? Well, because we just can't get along. Do they not come from your desires for pleasures that war in your members? Well, yeah. I lust and don't have. I murder and covenant and can't obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Oh, there's a cliff note verse on prayer. We pull that one out. Yeah, I don't have because I don't ask. So let's ask. God, give me my best life now. Give me all the good stuff. Make me, make me the head and not the tail. Exalt me in the eyes of everybody else. And then we fail to read the rest of this passage. But what happens if I do ask, but I don't receive? Well, what does that mean? You ask and don't receive. Why? Because you ask amiss. A word we don't use much today, amiss. Well, what does that mean? It means kalos, kakos. It means you ask bad. You ask evil. You ask improperly, wrong. You ask in a miserable, selfish fashion. How? that you may spend it, your prayer request, on your pleasures, on what you want to have happen. I'm so amazed in ministry that we don't mind doing the most awful things for the Lord as long as somebody gets to know about it. As long as we can tell somebody what we've done. Yeah, it was over there and it was really tough and it was really dirty and went to the nursing home and did this kind of stuff and, you know, and cause, cause we, we want to give God the glory, but yet we want the reward. We want the adulation, adulation for other people. That we, we, sometimes we minister amiss. Sometimes we, 
we pray amiss. And then the Lord says, adulterers and adulteresses, people who have left their first love, do you not know that friendship with the world, with the world system, cosmos, is enmity with God, is hatred to God? Therefore, wants to be a friend of the world, makes himself an enemy of God. And the context here is prayer. You have not because you ask not. Yeah, because you're asking wrong, because you're asking amiss, because it's all about you. And you don't, we don't make it about us and tack the name of Jesus on the end of it. I want to close with this. I want to let you know what the true purpose of prayer is. Listen very carefully. We've already, we've, we've come to believe that prayer is to get our request answered. And, and there's an element of that, and that's the blessing that comes with that, but that's not the purpose of prayer. Purpose of prayer is deeper than that. Purpose of prayer is to know Him. To know Him. Not about Him, but to know Him. What do you know about the Lord? Well, I know a lot of things about the Lord. I went to seminary for 73 years. And I got, no, no, but do you know him? Do you know what pleases him? Do you, know, do you know what he sounds like when he speaks to you? Do you know the feeling that he gives you when, when he's smiling at you? Do you know what it's like to sit in his presence silently and be overwhelmed with the goodness of his nature? Do you know him? To speak to Him. I mean, that's what prayer means, to talk to God. To be able to come into His presence and actually commune with the Creator of the universe. I mean, what greater privilege is there than that? To be able to have that face-to-face -face union with Him and then to have Him speak back. I mean, that's the rub. All of us can pray. Anybody can pray. We just fire up some words and put an O oh Lord on the beginning and an In Jesus' name on the end. But what about Him speaking back to you every time He does? It's a life-changing event until you become accustomed to him speaking to you. And then all of a sudden it becomes a daily fellowship. You understand the difference? It's a life-changing event. Oh, I remember August 17, 2011. God spoke to me and changed the direction of my life. Well, God spoke to me this morning. And it's just great basking in his glory and fellowshipping with who he is. And as he speaks to you more and more and more, they no longer become mountaintop events because you live on the mountaintop all the time. That's called the abundant life in Christ. Purpose of prayer is to know His will and experience His pleasure. I'll never forget in the movie Chariots of Fire when, um, I forget the guy's name, he would, the runner, the Olympic runner, and he used to say in the movie that when I run, I feel His pleasure. I feel God's pleasure when I'm doing something for His glory. When is the last time you felt His pleasure? Experienced His pleasure. Not, not, like a, not like a man and a boss. How'd I do, boss? Pretty good. Oh, thank you. But like a, like a father to a son or a son looking up to his dad, just feeling his pleasure. The true purpose of prayer is to learn how to think his thoughts and have the mind of a son. And this doesn't come overnight. This comes with a dying to self. It comes with a, of, of a taking every thought that you have obedient to what the Word says, to the... Um, obedience of Christ. Is my feeling, or are my feelings, is my thoughts that I'm having right now, do they line up with his words? And if they don't, they need to be rejected. And I understand that through prayer. To have your will, your desire, your wants transformed into his will. Now I'm praying his prayers because I know exactly what his will is, exactly what his desire is. I only want to want what he wants. And I only want to ask for what his son would ask for. Sometimes we don't know what God's will is. We don't. And so we pray and we just share what our will is. And you know that's okay. That's okay to do that. To God, I don't know what your will is in this situation. I'm telling you what my desire is. I'm going to lay my desire at your feet right now, and I'm going to ask you, God, if that is your will, please do that. But if it's not your will, I'm not going to get angry at you. I'm not going to get mad at you. I'm not going to get upset at you. I'm going to realize that you're sovereign and I'm not, because that's where the rub comes in. But to understand the true purpose of prayer is to live like this. You remember these accounts. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. 
And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. No man was more in tune with God the Father than Jesus. He was getting ready to face his crucifixion. Not only the physical pain, which if you've seen the Passion of the Christ is beyond comprehension, but the spiritual pain where God basically poured his wrath out on his son and did it so no man can see, because that's why the darkness fell over the earth at that time, so no one could see God dealing with his son. Jesus knew that was coming, and nobody on the planet knew why Jesus came more than him. And then he said to them, look what Jesus says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed saying, oh my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Really? You know it's not possible. You know that's not going to happen. I know. But I'm praying my desire. I'm praying what I really want to happen. I'm crying out to you, Lord, if it's possible, please remove this from me. It's okay to pray like that, as long as you add the ending. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Nevertheless, God, it's not about me and my wants. I'm not mad at you if you say no, and I'm not upset with you if it doesn't go my way. I'm not going to, I'm not going to not pray to you anymore because you disappointed me last Thursday. I'm not going to do any of that. God, I'm, I'm asking you, I'm laying at your feet, and I'm trusting you for the results. Then he came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Why? Could you not watch with me an hour? She's been an hour praying in anguish. Lesson for us when it comes to prayer. Watch and pray lest you enter in temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again a second time he went away and prayed. Little different prayer now. If it is possible, take this away. I, I, I know it's not possible. I know. Second prayer. Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it, you are sovereign. Let your will be done. If she has to die, let your will be done. If I don't get the job, let your will be done. If I'm not healed from this illness, let your will be done. If I don't get the house, if... if if I can't restore the relationship, Lord, let your will be done. And he came and found them sleeping again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went again and prayed a third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, and all of a sudden there's a change in Jesus. All of a sudden there's a, she's strong and he's resolute and he feels something. Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Arise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is what it's like to pray with confidence. And whatever happens, looks like you didn't get the job. Okay, going to work anyway. Looks like, um, looks like the cancer is inoperable. Okay, then I'll enjoy the, year, the days or weeks or months that I have, and then I'll go spend the time with the Lord. Looks like your worst nightmare has materialized, David, and the son you've been praying for for seven days has died. What are you going to do? I'm going to get up and eat a meal. I'm going to dress myself. I'm going to go into the house of the Lord and worship, and then I'm going to come back and comfort my wife. I'm going to do the right thing now. Or like this, and here's the last verse. The Lord says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. So how are we different, God? How are your thoughts different than mine, and how are your ways different than mine? For as the heavens are higher than the earth, can you calculate that? So are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts? I, I can't even assume to understand you, I just can understand how you revealed yourself to me through your Son and by the Holy Spirit who lives within me. And my desire is to have the mind of Him, the mind of Christ. So does this describe your prayer life? Even when you get disappointed? Have you experienced the Lord's presence during your time of prayer? And if so, what was that like? And if not, would you like to? I'm going to give you the one key ingredient here. And it's not necessarily confessing all your sins, although that's vital. It's not necessarily spending more time memorizing Scripture or studying the Word, although that is vital. The key 
It's like with anything else, you've got to put the time in. You've got you to practice. The more you pray, the better you'll get at it. The more you pray, the closer you get to the Lord, the more He'll reveal Himself to you. The more He can trust you, the more He'll reveal Himself to you. You have to put the time in. So when we pray, like with Jeannie, and we find ourselves disappointed, or if we feel compelled to pray for someone who's sick, someone who's crippled, and we gather around and we pray for the person, we ask for healing, and the healing does not miraculously happen right then. Does that mean we quit praying? No. God, I prayed. Your job to answer. But I'm going to keep praying. And I'm going to keep asking. And I'm going to keep trusting. But I'm going to realize that you are sovereign. And your will is perfect. And my job is to align my prayers with your will. And not think that I can bend your will through my prayers to my wants. Amen? And if we can get a hold of that, it'll give you more confidence in prayer. Let me pray.